Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our organizational partners, Podchaser, Critical Frequency, Audioboom, and Listen Notes. These are all companies you should look into if you're interested in great content and podcast discovery. They support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcastbrunchclub. Hey, Podcast Brunch Club listeners. We are so excited to bring you this interview today with Kelly Horan from WBUR's Last Seen podcast. This is the first time, if you haven't listened before, this is the first time we're doing a deep dive into a single podcast. Previously, we've just focused on a theme and had three to five episodes around that theme, but this is the first time we're listening to one podcast, and this is a great choice because it's a 10-part series that is great for binging, or if you were like me and you were listening each week as everything came out, it's great for that too. It's totally a, a good serial podcast that you can listen to you know, in pieces if you want, but it's also a good binge listen. So thanks, Kelly, for joining me. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. First of all, I want to start at the end of the podcast, which is not spoiling anything, I don't think, for anyone who hasn't made it to the end of the podcast. But in the live episode, I really appreciated what you said about how you wanted to bring new things to a story that everybody can already read about. So what did you want to shed a different light on? Well, I wasn't really sure when I started. All I knew was everything that I had read and heard about the heist and I didn't know what we would discover. And so I was so glad in the end to discover all of these other side stories and these nuances. And some of the suspects were names that I'd heard before and then others just weren't. And so that that just was the gratifying aspect of all the reporting is really going back to the beginning of news coverage of the crime, everything I could get my hands on and seeing the way over time, different narratives, different theories about who might have done it and where the art might be, some of those stuck. And then over time, some of the other ones fell away. And I really was interested in some of the ones that fell away. And to my surprise and delight, uh, some of those, uh, the more I dug, the more I found. And and I was able to create an, an entire episode around one or two of them. So that was a thrill. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, one of the questions that one of my Brunch Club members had mentioned was, how long did this actually take you to research and everything. I'm sure it was a very long to put everything together. Yeah. Well, I was really fortunate in that I had um, the time to work on this. I, I think that I, I took the assignment in May of 2017 and I really began with reading. I read a couple of biographies about Isabella Stewart Gardner, just to sort of have a better sense of who she was and where she fits into this whole story. And also to try to figure out sort of what what did her art mean to her and what might these particular pieces have meant to her that were stolen and I also read a lot about the crime. I read Stephen Kirkchen's book. He's our partner from the Boston Globe. I read another book by a wonderful author named Elric Bozer. Uh, and then I just read news clippings. And as I as I did that, I created sort of a hit list of voices I would really love to get. And also a, a list of people who were no longer with us. So trying to figure out, was there tape of them? Was there sound of them? Had they done other interviews over the years? And so from about May uh, 2017 until uh, the following April, I'd say, 
It was full on reporting. And then in April, finally sat down with these many hours of tape and, and began to figure out how to uh, map out these episodes. It just, it, I just, it's unimaginable <laughs> for me how much um, research went into this. It's just so much. And I totally appreciate that basically it took you a, a year to <laughs> put everything together, research, report, um, and just then figure out how we're going to fit these pieces together. And the thing is, I could have kept going. <laughs> and that was, it was good to have <laughs> bosses who were like, okay, it's <laughs> we're time. pulling the plug now. <laughs> yeah. I think you said this in the, in the live the live show episode too that you know you kind of just get so like embedded in this personally as well like you really like want to I don't know you want to you want to figure it out right it's like this super complicated thing that no one has ever been able to figure out the answer to did you find yourself <laughs> like talking about this at home and stuff and with your and with your team members too like on hours and hours and hours of like okay what do you think happened here i'm i'm lucky i'm fortunate that the people in my life who love me are still speaking to me because <laughs> i was very i had a one-track mind for a very long time and in fact at thanksgiving people were like i know i know the gardener heist we get it and i'm like don't worry i'm <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. But now I have the opposite problem because now that all episodes are out and people are uh, binging and, you know, I, I say collect the whole set. Now that they're all out, it was really something for me. I was running away from people over the long holiday weekend recently because everyone wants to come at me with their theory and um, <laughs> everyone kind of has a pet episode that they want to pick apart um, and criticize or, you know, tell me more. And I'm getting all kinds of emails from people explaining why this or that is right or wrong and and so i mean it's funny if i i feel like i've unleashed a beast yep you probably have <laughs> you probably have that's funny do you get the sense or did you get the sense as you were researching and reporting that the fbi feels like or that they they do know the answer here and they just won't release their conclusion i definitely don't think that that that's the case because I think that no one in the world wants more to to say we solved it than the FBI does. Mm -hmm. um, I think I got the sense that the FBI has a lot of priorities, a lot of challenges. I think one of the tricky things about something like solving an art heist is that at this point, after so many years, you know, you know, almost three decades, the likelihood of an arrest is slim because a they're probably dead. And B, that's not the point now. The point isn't to bring someone in. The point really is to get the art back. And I think that that presents a challenge in a landscape of crime that includes things like, you know, drug trafficking and terrorism. It's It may be hard to make the case for putting all of your effort into getting paintings back that many people haven't even seen. So I have, I tried to, with with all of the characters in this story, uh, including sort of the institutional one of the FBI, I tried to really, you know, see all the sides and give them the benefit of the doubt that they're working on it, that they want to solve it, that it is a priority, and at the same time, really wishing that they would open up what they know about the investigation. They have had the lock on the investigation since the crime happened, and I personally, this is just my personal feeling, I don't want to say that it necessarily represents that of the entire podcast team, but I personally think that um, this is an investigation that could benefit from fresh eyes and from an expanded law enforcement task force that, you know, brings in state police and local police and international 
criminal law enforcement. So I think that would be a great thing for it. Yeah, I think um, this is one thing I think is going to come up with in when we talk about this in our podcast brunch club meetings is, you know, the crime remains unsolved. And I don't think you intended to solve it or anything going into the podcast. But why did you decide to set up the story arc the way that you did, knowing that at the end, you know, there wasn't going to be like this aha moment of conclusion. So what was your process in setting up the episode order and everything? What was your process? It's really all driven by the tape that we got and and by the reporting. It was interesting because before we had really done much reporting at all, we sat down, my colleague Jack Rodolico and I sat down to talk about, you know, what are what are the episodes that we hope to have? And it's amazing how different the final episodes are from that, because I think at the beginning, we didn't even think, we didn't dare hope that we'd get as close to what we believe we, we got to the center of this crime. So in the end, the reporting really drove the episodes. We took a look at everything we had, you know, full inventory of voices, how they contributed to different storylines, different theories, and mapped out episodes based on how complete a narrative we would be able to give the listener. And which, of course, means that there are narratives that we began reporting on or that we did report that didn't make the cut because we couldn't tell a complete story. And it's it's it sort of pains me to think about some of those that are still hanging, <laughs> hanging out there without without the full treatment that we got. But I also think it would be unsatisfying to sort of dangle them for the listener without giving a a more conclusive presentation. So you're saying basically they didn't make it into an episode, like it, it wasn't mm-hmm. an episode's worth and you yeah. wanted to kind of encapsulate each kind of story into a single episode. Yeah. And, you know, and this is one of the, the things, the dangers, the challenges with a, a crime that's so well known by so many people. There are people who really devote so much of their lives to trying to solve this, you know, amateur sleuths who have some terrific ideas and great notions and theories and so there are people out there who know so much and they're sort of saying, well, why, why didn't you cover this or why didn't you cover that? And it's not that we didn't. It's, it's that we, we as the storytellers and the journalists couldn't, you know, get quite enough of, you know, the, the voices, the, 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 the details, the information. This is where having the FBI would have been huge because we could have bounced things off of them for just sort of a, an up or down, uh, yay or nay, mm-hmm. and then run with it. But in the end, we went with the storylines that we had that were the most compelling and the most complete. Mm-hmm. On the live episode, you also talked about how you had some positive feedback from listeners who really liked hearing the different voices, that it was very more impactful to hear anger in their voice or fear or frustration. So I was wondering if that was your plan all along or that just sort of happened as you started to talk to people. Well, you know, it's why I chose radio as as yeah. my chosen <laughs> medium uh, to do journalism, because I think that there is something different when you hear someone say it in the way they say it than when you read it. And I love, you know, I love long form print journalism too, but there's just something a little different when you just hear the human voice disembodied really from the image. Cause even with television, I think you're looking at someone and you're get you're you're as you see someone you're getting information about them but when you only have the voice going into your ears I think it really forces you to slow down a little bit and really listen and and that's why when you hear for example the security guard Randy uh, recounting what happened to him the night of the heist all these years later and you hear a little you know quiver in his voice 
for example, or you hear Anne Holly, the director at the time of the heist, when you hear her sigh, uh, describing walking into the Dutch room and seeing the carnage there. I mean, I just think that it it tells you so much. It really informs your understanding of just how huge and horrible this crime was. So in mm-hmm. a way, yes, it was my plan all along, the, the voices, but <laughs> even I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fully anticipate once you heard all these voices together, uh, just, just what a, what a deep story that they would all tell. Yeah. I, I, that just resonated with me so much when I heard you say that in the live episode, because I think I didn't even realize it as I was listening, but that's one of the things that kept me like I always would say, I move this right to the top of my queue whenever I I would see it come out every week. And I think that's a big part of it was just hearing these, just the different tenor in people's voices. Yeah. You know, just hearing these people that were just indignant about (laughs) having, having been fingered in something or whatever. It's just like so... I don't know. It was very, people have very strong feelings about what happened and and that makes for great audio. Well, and you know, what was so nice, what's been so nice is to hear from people who, who write and say, I've read everything there is about this heist. I felt like I knew this story, but um, I had never heard this person's voice before, even though I might've read that person's name in the paper a million times. You suddenly hear the way they speak, the, the way that they recount their own personal experience and memory. And it does. It adds, I think, a depth to a person. I think there's a lot that we learn about a person from their voice. And again, probably why you work in radio. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say some of the biggest challenges were in telling the story? Well, I, I think for me, the first challenge was wrapping my head around the value of what was lost and trying to convey why that matters to the listeners. So there's there's sort of two parts there. There's the dollar value, which we said was upwards of $500 million. Uh, this week. Um, the Boston Globe had an article making the case for it being closer to a billion, which I think is accurate. I don't know how to convey that value, you know, monetarily. So I, I tried to figure out what that meant to me by figuring out what it might have meant to Isabella Stewart-Garner that these pieces were gone for, from her collection. And then... The other part of that is how do you get listeners to care about the loss of artwork that they might not have ever seen before that maybe never spoke to them? How do you get someone who may may not really care about art all that much to buy the premise that, that the fact that these are still missing matters? So I would say that those are my two signal challenges. And then, you know, just getting people to say yes when you call them and say, I want to talk to you about this, because for many people, this remains a painful subject, whether that's because uh, it hurts that the art is gone or or maybe because they've been under suspicion or maybe because a family member or someone that they loved has been under suspicion. So there's a lot of complicated emotions swirling around this case and calling people up and saying, you know, will you talk to me? There was a little bit of a delicate dance to do with some of those voices. Yeah, when you talked about um, the one episode where you mentioned seeing the cut out frame and just like your emotional, visceral reaction to that, I think that was, it was very relatable. It was like, that was one of the things I think that helped bridge the gap from the person that thinks, well, I don't know anything about like expensive art. This is like, has has nothing, like, this is not my world, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think that you were a very like, real like kind of a surrogate person, I guess maybe. Is Thank you. Well, kind of I, what I'm I mean, thinking of, <laughs> you know, in any creative 
project. There's so much that you know, you might do differently after the fact. And I've asked myself if that was the right way to start, honestly, but I really did feel that it was important to let the listener know that there might not be, you know, a brutalized human at the heart of this story, as there are in other true crime podcasts, but there was a victim, you know, and um, I was so surprised. I mean, I was just genuinely so surprised when Anthony Amore, the Gardner Museum's director of security, uh, number one, that, you know, he took me up to the attic. I didn't know what there was to see there. And then number two, that I I didn't know that the stretchers, so this is, you know, the, the wood frame under the, the gilt frame that the stretcher, uh, rather that the canvas is, you know, literally stretched across. And when I understood what I was looking at, I really, I, I had a little bit of an emotional moment and, and so did he. I mean, we were both there because I could see, that was also helpful in my reporting to see him react viscerally to seeing this, even though he's seen it before. Just, he was in that moment having a reminder of his one job, which is to get these back. And I was having my very first experience of seeing this and it, it was very moving. Well, thank you for, for telling the story that way. Well, I appreciate that you dialed into it. Yeah. Well, thank you. We do want to ask every guest that we have on the show um, one question in the end. We ask everyone if they can recommend a podcast that they personally enjoy and um, if there's any particular episodes or anything or just the show, anything that you've been listening to that you would love to recommend? Yeah, well, I would love to recommend Dead Man Talking. I think it's from Audio Boom. It's hosted by a wonderful sounding Brit named Alex Hannaford. And it's just really great journalism. And it's Alex Hannaford, when he was a younger reporter, interviewed a man who was known as the railroad, railroad killer, a serial killer who basically rode the rails, got off wherever he got off, and uh, killed people horribly. And when he interviewed him many years ago, I don't want to give away too much because I want I want you guys to have the pleasure of discovering it, but this killer made a very startling confession to Alex. And what I so appreciate about the way he tells this story is that it's sort of, it's very honest, it's very grounded, it's very raw. And what he says basically is, he told me something that was so huge, I didn't know what to do with it at the time or how I would work with it. But the memory of that interview stayed with him all these years later. And the memory of this revelation stayed with him and actually weighed on him. He felt a responsibility to do something with this startling information that he was given. And so he uh, revisited this. He, he was able to find the tapes from this interview and then this is a podcast that delves into this confession from a serial killer. And we follow Alex as he tries to unravel the truth. And it's I think it's done so well. And I had the pleasure of meeting Alex about a month ago. And I am just a super fan. So I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to give a plug. That's awesome. I, don't, I haven't listened to that one either, and I listen to just tons of stuff. So um, that's great. Yeah. Good. I can add that one on my list. I hope you do. I hope you do. Good. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly. And um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed Last Scene. And if you haven't listened to everything yet, make sure you finish the series out. It's so good. And it ends with a nice live episode in the end where we get to hear a little bit more of the personalities of our yeah. uh, team. Well, thank <laughs> you. And really I just want to, I want to thank you for your interest and also um, 
to tell you how excited I was when I when I saw that we made it into your uh, your food pyramid there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, my and, audible feast. Um, and how crushed yes. I was when we didn't, but I didn't take it personally. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, it made it on there a lot of times, though, we for the thrilled. number of episodes that you had. You made it on there a thank lot of you. times. Thank yeah, you so. for the notice. Thank you for the attention. We appreciate Definitely. it. Definitely. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.